a flat in one of the poshest areas of Santiago. There is a young couple pressed up against the wall in the living room. It is the 14th of September 1973, and outside there is shooting. The block of flats is situated just beside a military hospital, which is the goal of a desperate attack by a group of leftist activists. Classmates of Pinochet. The bullets ricochet off the block of flats. And on the floor, there is an old woman talking to one of her friends on the phone. A Family Chronicle by Juan Diego Spurer. My grandchild Sergio is here, she whispers to a friend. And I think that he's hiding here in my place. The old woman doesn't seem particularly concerned by the rain of bullets outside. But she's ashamed and afraid of unintentionally hiding a so-called extremist. Suddenly, one of the bullets shoots straight through the living room window and hits a photograph on the wall. It is a portrait of a proud and handsome admiral. The picture is barely damaged. There is just a hole in the left corner. The proud admiral remains unhurt and indifferent. There is hardly a scratch on the historic personality whose equals are now clearing the country of people who threaten an old and well-established system. The couple on the floor is my brother and his girlfriend. The woman with the receiver in her hand is my grandmother. And the man in the photograph is my grandfather, once commander-in-chief of the armed forces. Esto estaba en la casa de mi madrastra, este, este, esta foto. Estaba el hospital de la Fach. Resulta que estaba tu hermano ahí. This photograph was in your grandmother's place. During the coup, there were a lot of stray bullets outside her flat. There was a military hospital there then. Your brother was there at the time. ¿Y mi hermano qué estaba haciendo ahí? Why was he there? No sé, puede haber estado escondido porque la Juanita me llamó a mí también. I suppose he was in hiding because your grandmother called me and said that she'd got one of the Spora children with her. La Juanita me llamó a mí también. Tengo un niño escondido aquí. Pero espérenme, hijo. Escondido aquí. Twenty-five years ago, there was a coup d'etat in Chile. And I have lived with these events ever since. I have repressed some of it, and until recently, I believed it would remain that way for the rest of my life. But a year ago, my family met for a reunion in Chile. We had planned the trip and looked forward to it for a long time. We hadn't met since Pinochet got into power in September 1973. There was a barbecue, a cake and tears at a seaside resort in central Chile, where one of my brothers has a summer house. Suddenly, by sheer coincidence, one of my cousins appeared with his children. There was hugging, kissing and sighs. Oh, it's such a long time since we met. The first time went quiet was when my cousin asked in surprise, Why did you leave Chile? The silence was thick and heavy like porridge. And my sister Cecilia answered, Really? 
What country have you been living in? Last year, in August, a sensational book appeared in the Chilean bookstores. It was a recording of conversations with the journalists during the first few hours of the coup d'etat. When I listened to it, nothing could stop me from remembering those vague and last memories. Once again, I had that repressed feeling of fear. In October 1998, Pinochet was arrested in London. And I hardly dared believe it was true. But it was. Perhaps the strangest part of this story is that almost all my family were pro-Pinochet, and they still are. In January this year, I went back to Santiago. I wished to hear their chronicle once again, my families, those who were close to me and who, during the middle of the reign of bullets, when the torture chambers had just been opened, celebrated by cheering with champagne glasses in their hands. An ordinary Sunday afternoon. That means that you have a late lunch, you read the paper, have a few glasses of whiskey or pisco sour and conversation. A bourgeois version of a lazy Sunday. My aunt Gloria had invited me over for spaghetti, pastries, red wine and melon for dessert. Gloria is my father's youngest sister. It was a long time since last we met, ages ago. In the beginning of the 70s, Aunt Gloria, just like many other people in her circle, believed that the so-called communists were preparing for a coup d'etat, that they would invade their homes and throw them out on the streets. Therefore, she and a few other ladies in the neighborhood patrolled the area, keeping guard at night. But she admits that nothing ever happened. The town was full of communists and bandits, she explains. I was delighted when there was a coup d'etat. Terribly happy. Because it was either them or us. Us or them. What angered Gloria most when Allende was in power was the lack of goods and the endless queues. We almost starved to death, she said. As for the rest, she doesn't believe the reports about acts of cruelty during the dictatorship. Many of those who supposedly disappeared are alive wagging their tails. They have even got new identities. Class hatred and escape from reality. The Chilean upper class runs all through the story. Once Gloria's oldest son, Carlos, was arrested on the street by some soldiers. When they checked, he had no identification papers. Gloria admits that he was badly treated. It's typical, boys from the working class doing their military service. They want to get the feeling of having a little power, she explains. My cousin was released almost immediately. His influential father went to the police himself and brought him back. 
Umberto went there and simply brought him back. He said, move your Tommy gun, motherfucker. I am here to collect my son. And then they went home. That was all there was to it. When my father died, we didn't see as much of our relatives. Still, I met my uncles and aunts a few times a year, particularly in the summer. Some of their mannerisms were typical for these people. The slightly squeaky upper-class accent. Well, did you see the cakes Christina served for tea yesterday? Other than that, the women were preferably supposed to be blonde and should seem kind of naturally indifferent to the trivialities of life. Their body movements, not to mention their hands, never show any kind of close relation to the kitchen, work of nature. They moved in a perpetual Sunday afternoon, with thin gloves and brightly colored silk scarves around their hairdos. The men smelled of imported perfume and whiskey. Their shoes always shone and they wore knee-long white socks. Their ideals were Gary Cooper, James Stewart and Rock Hudson. Naturally, that was before he came out. It was a perfect world. I have often wondered if grandfather had been alive in 1973, would he have been a member of the Junta? Yes, naturally he would have been a member of the junta or the government. Your grandfather supported Hitler during the Second World War because, you know, Hitler was against the communists, but your father wasn't. Your father was all for the Allies. There were both Germans and gringos in our place. But a lot of people compare Hitler to Pinochet. No, no, no tiene nada que ver. What's the difference? Oh, you couldn't compare Hitler to Pinochet. No, you really couldn't compare Hitler to Pinochet. I don't believe that Pinochet is a mass murderer. My cousin Menina enters the room and says that the supporters of Pinochet yell, Heil Hitler. When? Haven't you seen them, Minina says? No, it couldn't be to Hitler, Gloria says. But your brother's children were socialists and communists, weren't they? How do you feel about that? You probably tread in your father's footsteps, but I don't give a damn. Really, not a bit. I'm a conservative, but I'm not stupid. The discreet charm on Sunday are reaching an end. They have been to church in the morning. Confession communion wafers, and then yet another day. Discreet dishonesty. Only one truth before I live. Pinochet is in London, and Menina is afraid. Pinochet has said that human rights are a trick that the communists made up. Gloria feels sorry and agrees with him. 
tanto derechos humanos que se hablan y con él no tuvieron ningún derecho humano, ni uno, nada. It made me feel so sad, so sad, particularly the way they arrested him. And they talk about human rights. In any case, they didn't apply to him. He had just had an operation, anesthesia and all. And then Scotland Yard got him. The desire to transform Chile into a communist state is inevitably an attack against human rights. Augusto Pinochet. I have been within gunshot range of Pinochet. Actually, he has been so close to me that he may well have been my neighbor, he or one of the other Pinochets. My cousin Carlos has parted with his daughter. My uncle Humberto was his advisor. My father's cousin Alberto was his minister of health and social affairs. Uncle David was his classmate. My father just like my grandfather, my brothers and myself, went to the same school as Pinochet. Pinochet has become an institution. He is the ruler and the ruling class, a supporter of the system. These days, though, he is simply a father. Ingleses piratas devuelvanos al tata. Englishmen, bloody pirates, give us back our father. These days my mother lives in Sweden and she is 80 years old. We had lunch together a few days after my return from Santiago. I never talked to my mother about the conflict between my father and my grandfather. Fue una pelea de, de, desde que Enrique se salió de Partido Conservador y se formó la, la falange que Enrique fue de, de los There were a lot of arguments when your father left the Conservative Party and formed the Christian Democrats. Y no lo sé, pero don Enrique realmente odiaba a los comunistas. Your grandfather hated the communists. I really don't know why. He used to say that they should be executed. My father was one of the founders of the Christian Democrats. During the 30s, the party revolted against the old conservative system. Even from the outset, the Christian Democrats were accused of being communist. The conflict between my father and my grandfather never came to an end. 
My grandmother interfered, asking my mother to convince her husband to give up his political ideas. My mother said no, point blank. And from then on, she never visited her parents in law again. Cuando yo me iba a pensar que iba a haber un, una, una cosa como la que hubo, ¿no? I could never have imagined that the things that happened during the coup would happen. For each member of the armed forces that is attacked under any circumstances whatsoever, five Marxist prisoners will be executed immediately. Proclamation from the Junta, September 1973. We know what happened after that. A regular, selective, fast and efficient massacre. Officially referred to as the war. This is the president speaking from the palace of La Moneda. I confirm that the Navy has occupied and isolated Valparaiso, but will wait for a reaction from the nation's soldiers, and I hope it will be a positive reaction. They have sworn loyalty to the democratically elected government. I am convinced that our soldiers will fulfill their democratic duty. Salvador Allende. He believed in the impossible to the very last, a radical change to Chilean society. Allende was from the Chilean upper class and should have known better. That society had protected the system of privilege so well, it would resist change at all costs. The hyena let him play his game, but Allende never got his back up. He remained the tame lion, making threats and using propaganda for the revolution. It was not that he couldn't support his own statements. Rather, it was that he underestimated the enemy. Yes, of course, the enemy. The enemy spoke the same language as he did, drank the same wines, went to the same school as he and his children did. They had been sitting at the same table for generations. But it is one matter to sit next to the enemy at the table, and quite another to invite the servants to dinner. That's unforgivable. He had neither successful negotiations nor weapons backing him up, and so his days were numbered from the beginning. The hyena wanted more blood. It set up snares, traps and fences all over the place. The species was chased away and became extinct. For three whole years we have been forced to endure the Marxist cancer which has brought us into a financial, moral and social failure that cannot be tolerated. We are forced to take on a painful task for the sake of the holy name of our country, General Gustavo Lee. My cousin Guillermo had a key position after the coup d'etat in 1973. 
He was a highly ranked officer in the Navy. I tried to get hold of him several times while I was in Chile, but had no success. It was evident that he was avoiding me. I don't think that's suitable, he said on the phone when I explained what it was all about. It's a bit creepy to go by underground in Santiago. It's super modern and quiet, well organized, clean and disciplined. It opens at 6 a.m. and closes at 10 p.m. Perhaps it's yet another reflection of the timetable which was established by the military power a long time ago. The opening hours reflect the curfew because nobody knows what happens in a place that leads a double life like this. The long hours of the night in the underground. And as I sit here, you come to my mind so easily, Guillermo. I know that you are hiding. That answers quite a few of my questions. So, what are my questions? To begin with, why are you avoiding me now? What I mean is that As the years pass by, you appear to be a kind of saver of our family, the man who emerged from nowhere, or more correctly, from the shadows, to save three lives and thereby also the family's honor. That's fine, Guillermo. But I don't want to talk about honor. That's right. It's the shadows that interest me. You won't let me meet you. Although our meeting was so important then, Let's put the clock back 25 years. Primero no sabía que venía. Y justamente Guillermo, que era pariente. ¿Qué le dije yo a Guillermo? No me acuerdo. Lo único que le decía yo, la Cecilia es una niña. At first I didn't realize what was going on. Since it was Guillermo, one of our relatives. I said, Cecilia is only a child. Because he had come to take her away. She hasn't done anything wrong, I said. But he took her anyway. Let me put it like this. You saved three lives. Was that all? Are there other people who own their lives to you? Or are there some people whose blood stains your conscience, like your feet on a marble statue? On the 14th of September 1973, you arrived on our doorstep wearing a uniform and your face was painted. You were in command of a group of marines, about 15 of them, and they had surrounded our house. And there you were, standing by our gate with a couple of young soldiers at your side. They were both holding tummy guns and they were looking hard at mother, Cecilia and me. May I come in, you asked. Yes, naturally, I thought and opened without a word. This wasn't an unexpected call. We had been waiting for three whole days, particularly during the night time. During the curfew, I heard every step, every car that passed by. You came inside, sat down on the sofa in the living room and put your tummy gun on the carpet. Then you took off your helmet, which covered half your face, and after that you said hello and smiled. 
o sea, donde estaba claro que algo venía, digamos, o sea, digamos, la presencia de él, algo traía, porque no venía solo. My sister, Cecilia. Porque no era una visita de familia, o sea, no era una visita de familia, no se hace con una patrulla, digamos, y en las condiciones en que lo hizo, digamos. He had a purpose for his sudden appearance, so to speak, because he wasn't calling on his family. You don't call on your family accompanied by a whole patrol. Yo creo que yo estaba consciente de que, de que a mí me iban a buscar en cualquier momento. Yo creo que lo sabía, pero yo creo que no sabía de qué forma, ni, ni qué, ni cómo, digamos, iba a ser. I knew that they were going to come and take me away any second. I knew that. I just didn't know how it would happen. At first, when I saw him arriving, I didn't think they had come for me after all. You said, hello, aunt. It's me, Guillermo. How are you? That was when I recognized you. I was shaking all over, but you probably didn't notice that. I've never been so certain that my life was drawing to an end. Well, you see, the situation is very serious. I can help you, but it would mean that my cousins will have to leave the country. Well, thanks very much. Life in exchange for exile. How considerate. Cuando se llevó Guillermo a la Cecilia, yo pensé, nunca más la voy a ver. Que esto no la van a soltar. Para mí eran terribles. I was always afraid that they might kill my children. It was a petrifying thought. When Guillermo took Cecilia away, I didn't think I'd ever see her again. I thought that they would never let her go. Question number two. How come you got so much authority overnight? How much did you really know about it all? Don't be afraid of me. I'm only asking you some questions. I only want to remember, because I know that the past doesn't have to be that paralyzing place that you don't want to wake up from. Guillermo, I believe that our memories can indeed provide relief and show us a way out. Also, I don't intend to send you to Sweden. No, you might surely stay here. This is your place, just as much as it once was mine. Eh, claro, él ofrecía, digamos, ayudarnos, pero, pero ¿por qué? ¿Por qué de pronto? O en concreto, en ayudarme, digamos, a mí. He came to offer help, but why? Why was he so interested in helping us? And why me? Porque era claro, digamos, o sea, contra él y contra la patrulla que había afuera yo no podía hacer nada, digamos. Obviously I couldn't struggle against him or the patrol that was waiting outside. I also remember that you'd been to Sweden before I went there. It's a nice country, you said, and suggested that we should go to Sweden. Then you went through our bookcases and picked up the books that you consider compromising. Books that you'd never seen before. Books that you never ever read. Mommy stood there watching you. She was thinking, it's all for the best. You knew best. You were the only one who knew, weren't you? Then it was time to inspect our house. Estaba el sable de don Enrique. Entonces le digo yo, ah, y, y Guillermo me dice, esto me lo tengo que llevar. Estas no son armas, Guillermo le dice. You took the saber that Grandpa had when he was an admiral, for security reasons, naturally. 
you wouldn't allow such a strong symbol of our family's connections with the armed forces to remain in our house. Through the grapevine, I've heard that now you probably put it up in your own living room. You went into my room and took down my posters. Well, I'm 40 now. You were 35 then. But how can the fetishes of a 15-year-old have anything to do with the nation's internal affairs? Those posters were a part of my own short history. They were friends or a few words that would reflect upon myself. A teenager's path out into the wild world. This is a message to the youth of Chile. Youngsters, more than anybody else, should trust in Chile's high ideals and the armed forces that will keep watch over their interests. Obedience is the best form of cooperation. A proclamation from the Junta, September 1973. Then we got to the crucial business. My sister, you were going to take her with you. That was why you had come. Lo que él hiciera o lo que él dijera era lo que en ese momento valía. He knew at that moment only his words counted. Él quería convencerme, digamos, y convencerme por, por la buena o por la mala. He wanted me to go with him. He tried to convince me, using both words and violence. Había una esperanza, digamos, en que él, digamos, procediera, procediera de una forma más suave, digamos, ¿no? Y en el, en el hecho lo hizo, digamos. I was terrified and hoped that he would go back to using less violent methods. And he did. If this was Cecilia's only chance, it means that you knew quite a bit about the fates of other young girls. Now we know that 80% of those who died or disappeared during these days were youngsters under the age of 25. Did you see it happen, Guillermo? Since you were so convinced that Cecilia had the cards stacked against her. Pienso que no tienen la conciencia clara. No son como de culparlos mucho, porque si han nacido en eso. Como quien dice por tradición, son comunistas, mátenlo. They haven't got a clear conscience, but I don't want to blame them too much, since all their lives they were told that you had to kill all the communists. It's been hammered into them. That's just how they are. My last question is a question for myself, Guillermo. Let's amuse ourselves by turning the tables in this quiz. What would I have done if I were you? Don't be afraid of my answer, because I would probably spare you too, for family reasons. Naturally. Es cierto que en la sucia guerra desatada por el extremismo pudieron darse situaciones indeseables e imprevisibles. Pero también lo es que una táctica conocida de la subversión es la de vocear la denuncia de tortura con carácter de escándalo. It's true that the sordid war staged by the extremists had some undesired, unforeseeable consequences. But it is also true that the fanatics are notorious for their habit of shouting and screaming about torture and turning it into a scandal. Augusto Pinochet. But where in this city is Guillermo? He's got a job on a boat. I've been told that he's on his way to Greenland just now. 
I've also found out that Guillermo went to see his parents at that time, on the 9th of September 1973, that is two days before the coup d'etat. Did he come to say goodbye? That would mean that he knew, better than others, what was going to happen. How do you mean to say goodbye? I asked. He thought that there was going to be a war. But there is another question that hasn't been answered. There is another cousin in the family. He too was a young officer. What did he do during the coup d'etat? My sister's ex-husband, Leo, helped me get on the right track. Bueno, cuando estaba yo en la en la academia y en el momento más difícil, ¿no? Eh, que se me estaban aplicando diferentes métodos de maltrato. Eh, se me cae la venda que tenía en los ojos, ¿no? Entonces yo identifiqué a cuatro personas de vista. I was held in custody at the military academy. Once my blindfold slipped and I recognized four of those who were torturing me. It happened during the most difficult period when I was blindfolded and tortured in different ways. Yo reconozco, digamos, a un familiar tuyo, digamos, ¿no? joven en aquella época, cercano. Entonces, y yo sé que él también sabía que yo estaba ahí, ¿no? I recognized one of your relatives. He was a young man then. I know that he knew who I was, since Cecilia had made a few attempts to help me. Her relatives knew that I was held prisoner at the military academy. Eh, un golpe que sentí, lo sentí como para que quien estaba en alrededor lo viesen como terriblemente agresivo, pero en la forma que me golpeó, yo lo sentí como, como con complacencia, ¿no? When suddenly I could see those who were torturing me, your relative kicked me. Not very hard. He kicked my testicles, and it didn't hurt very much. It's possible that he didn't think I saw him, but I saw everything. Pero mejor que bueno que esté. Quizá es una llave de seguridad, por lo menos para no morirme. Actually, I was glad to see him. At least I won't die, I thought. Leo was arrested twice and subjected to a long period of torture. The second time, it was for as long as a fortnight. Since he didn't know very much, they let him go, hoping that they would lead them to his friends so that the counterintelligence could arrest them. Leo remembers meeting one of our relatives the first time he was arrested. A relative of ours, who by now isn't entirely unfamiliar to you. Antes de yo estar detenido en la academia de guerra, eh, fui detenido en Concon, en una camioneta con cuatro infantes marinas. Y en esa camioneta venía Guillermo. Incluso en la camioneta venían jugando con los revólveres que eran de los carabineros. Decía, mira los trofeos que tenemos hoy en día. Before I was brought to the military academy, a group of soldiers arrested me in Concon. Guillermo was sitting in the van. They'd recently arrested a group of leftist policemen. They were joking and playing around with the guns that they'd confiscated. Look at the trophies we got today. Leo prefers not to think about the possibility of confronting his old executioners. But quite recently, he was sitting in a bar with a couple of friends. A man who was sitting at the next table 
wanted to dance with one of the girls in Leo's party. The girl declined. The man insisted. As Leo asked the man to leave his friend alone, their eyes met. He asked me if I was from Chile. And I asked him, What did you do in January 1974? How come you asked that? Because you were at the military academy, I said. You can't do anything to me now, he said desperately. Pero desesperado, ¿no? Yo reconozco el anillo de él, ¿no? Fundamentalmente después la cara le miro la mano y reconozco un anillo. I recognized his face and also his ring. I got up and put my hand on his shoulder. I won't do anything to you, I said. I could give you therapy if you wanted me to. But you don't deserve it. You might as well die as you are. An alcoholic. Why didn't my father become the man he was meant to be by both class and tradition? He was the firstborn of a bourgeois family. In Chile, your background is as important as your mother's milk, and you don't travel by night train from one class to another. It takes generations. He became neither a member of the armed forces nor a businessman. Instead, he became a lawyer dedicated to social and humanitarian issues. But why? Yo creo que las, lo que salvó a mi papá y lo que gracias a eso digamos nos salvó digamos a nosotros fue que mi papá nació fallado. I think daddy's salvation and our salvation was that he was born with a disability. Nació con tuvo un defecto al nacer y nació cojo. Y el, el, el rol que digamos como hijo mayor con la posición social política y económica que tenía It was a physical disability. He limped. His family had to change their obvious expectations of a firstborn son. The Navy wasn't suitable for a handicapped man. One evening, I stayed up late talking to one of my relatives. Before his wife went to bed, she asked me if I really knew anyone who was tortured by the army. Yes, I know several people. How about you? I found it difficult to believe the papers, she answered. She is young. She was born after the coup d'etat. Then she went on. But if the politicians really wanted the army to restore order, it would be stupid to believe that they would only shoot people in the leg. Oh yes, all these contradictions. Denying acts of terror while justifying the army's one and only duty to shoot in order to kill. I have often wondered about the civil war, which was supposed to be the motif behind the coup d'etat. Let's assume for once that the leaders of the coup were right, that it actually was the only solution, or one of few possible solutions. In that case, I wonder, was it really necessary to act so brutally? Where does the brutality come from in that case? Did it start with Pinochet, or had it somehow gone on for a long time? 
At five o'clock in the morning, I leave my relative's flat, which is situated on a main street. The street is empty. There are no taxis, no cars at all, no people. Only a few dark shadows here and there. I'm walking down the road with my tape recorder on my shoulder and a few hundred dollars in my pocket. I am easy prey for the hungry shadows. It's the first time in a long while that I'm afraid in this city. I decide to walk in the middle of the street. It's a paradox that the only safe neighborhood is right by the military academy, which is at least a quarter of an hour's walk away. There is also a taxi station there. I draw a sigh of relief as I arrive and catch a glimpse of one of the many young soldiers posted at the front. In the vicinity of the military academy, I start to breathe normally again. If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one.